Hello, my name is S.D. Hudson, and welcome to my Tales of the New World. This is my very first video ever, and it's all about the day the Hopsy went missing. If you like what you hear, please consider liking and subscribing, and I'd love to know what you think about my Tales of the New World. The Day the Hopsy Went Missing Chapter 1 Something's Not Quite Right The twenty-first day of the summer setting was a day much like any other for the folk of the New World Meadow. There was much industry, laughter and forest fare, but something was missing, or rather someone, which changed the balance of things somewhat. Now everyone felt a little less settled than they usually did, for at this time of the year the pigtailed Hopsy should have been weaving silk ribbons outside her home, for it was summer season and the market depended upon it. But the pigtailed Hopsy was nowhere to be found. Now at this point I think it would be best to tell you about the New World Meadow, just in case you've never heard of it. The meadow is situated at the heart of the New World, an alternate dimension, where only the most honourable and valiant live. It is surrounded by the far lands of spring, summer, autumn and winter, and its folk look a bit like the wild animals you see on the television, although some have wings where you wouldn't expect to see wings and teeth where you wouldn't expect to see teeth. But unlike us in the old world, they possess both human intellect and an animal's sixth sense, so all in all, they possess the best of both worlds. Now on this summer's day, the sharp-toothed bunyip was doing his best to find out what had happened by visiting every rustic arch and brightly painted door carved into the meadow's perimeter, for behind such the many folk could be found. And being a rather wise fellow, he decided to start with the biggest gossip of all, the golden-haired Sassny. Unfortunately, speaking to the Sassny was to leave him none the wiser. It's been so long since I clapped eyes on her, Jeremiah, I wouldn't recognise her if she fell on me. The Sassny chuckled, eager to avoid further scrutiny, for she had spent far too much time gossiping that morning, and the sun was now considerably higher than she was happy with it being. And that's all you got to say on the matter? I mean, you being neighbours and all. Well, I can't be watching everything she does. I'm hardly a blooming keeper now, am I? I suppose not, Jeremiah replied. Only I would usually be the mind to be thinking otherwise. You had a falling out, I suppose. At this, the Sassany began shuffling from one foot to the other. That's the last thing we've had. I just haven't had much time lately, what with the summer setting and the foraging and such. That's why it's all got a bit on top of me. Then her voice tailed off as she pushed her heavy clues through the wild curls, framing her weather-worn face. And as her china-blue eyes met his, Jeremiah was surprised to see they were filled with watery regret. For the Sassny now realised she had spent far too much time focusing on things that really didn't matter. You will find her though, won't you? 
I surely will, Jeremiah reassured her. Fear not, she'll be with us by sundown. Oh, Jeremiah, you're a gentleman and a scholar, no doubt. It won't go unnoticed either, with a wise one, I mean. If everything I did was because of that, I'd be doing it for the wrong reasons now, wouldn't I? Suppose you're right. Bless you anyway. I'll be seeing you later then. And Jeremiah replied, You can depend upon it, before checking his fob watch and tucking it back into the breast pocket of his fine tweed suit. Chapter 2 Journey to the Farlands It was no time at all before Jeremiah embarked on the long journey east, for knowing the hopsy as he does, and being a master of the new world as he is, means keeping the meadow's safety his number one priority above all else. So after some time and some considerable exertion, he arrived at the land of spring and the Threadna Moors, the place the Craymoors lived. Entering the hollow, sculpted out of the vast scrubland without ceremony, he looked closely at the one person he knew was at the heart of the problem. Mother Craymore was sitting in an armchair, her grey feathers threaded with thin white whiskers that protruded playfully around a long grey beak. She looked at Jeremiah through twinkling eyes, although there was an air of tension about her, as though she was hiding something. Now Jeremiah being Jeremiah, he saw straight through this playful facade and inhaled deeply before beginning. Evening, Mother. It'd be a long journey, I had, and I'd be welcoming a little sustenance if it ain't too much trouble now. Mother Craymore placed her chubby hands on the arms of her chair as if to rise, but thinking better of it, promptly composed herself and returned them to her lap. Tamiel, she called. Come on in. And the line was drawn. Now, being a master of the new world, Jeremiah is not someone who considers lines drawn by other folks as being applicable to him, but he waited patiently all the same, as that is what masters are trained to do, and when Tamiel entered carrying an old wooden tray, he made sure to gift her with his best side, as was his custom, although it may be argued Jeremiah has no worse side. In fact, everything about Jeremiah is considered in the new world to be exceedingly handsome. Evening, Jeremiah, she said in her best voice, for everybody knew Jeremiah was a master now, and as such, should be afforded some respect. Yeah, it'd be rightly that, he replied, oblivious to her flattery, and taking a large bite out of the hot sandwich handed to him, Jeremiah looked around. The room was comfortably furnished, in what we in the old world would call a Victorian style with heavy drapes and thick flocked cushions. And over in the corner, a curved staircase branched off, leading up to the sleeping quarters. It was rather grand for such a humble neighbourhood, and Jeremiah began to wonder how such a lazy creature as Mother Craymore had managed such good fortune. For everybody knows good fortune sits hand in hand with hard work. This be a comfortable set-up you got here, mother. 
You've done well for yourself, I expect. You'd be expecting right, Mother Craymore replied. She was not in the mood for interrogation, and the presence of a master was beginning to make her feel a little less comfortable than she usually did in her high wing-back chair. Well now, I'm in these parts, as I'm sure you're aware, to find the hopsy. We'll be needing her back for nightfall, and I have a feeling she'd be somewhere around these parts. His deep brown eyes bored through Mother Craymore with the intention of one with nothing to lose. You usually have your ear to the ground on such matters, I think. The light from the kitchen window caught the sharp tip of his ivory tusks as he lifted his chin to dust the many crumbs that had settled on his waistcoat. But Mother Craymore was unnerved. She resented his presence and was keen to get back to her roasted truffles and cinnamon wine. I've heard no such word and quite frankly, Jeremiah, I resent the implication. Then drawing her beak into a long thin line, she watched as a broad grin spread across Jeremiah's face. He knew very well this would be her response, but he wasn't about to show his hand just yet. I see. He inhaled deeply, his large black nostrils open to full capacity, before leaving his good humour behind him. I'll be seeing you then. Thank you kindly for the sustenance, said Jeremiah, before turning on his heel to leave. Chapter 3 The Rescue I knew he was bluffing were the first words out of Tamiel's beak once Jeremiah had left. But old Mother Craymore was a wiry sort, and she knew nothing could be quite as simple as all that. Lock the door. She jumped up, and pulling the curtains firmly shut, looked around before bending over and pulling back a large red rug to reveal an old metal ring set deep into the timber boards beneath. Make sure you cover this back up when I've left. I don't want that nuisance seeing anything. But old Mother Craymore had forgotten. Jeremiah's heightened sense of touch is so powerful. He would easily have felt the ridge beneath his feet when he stood heavy on its thick burgundy wall. Meanwhile, he had made his way into the tussocks of tough pink heather that grew thick and high on the hills around. Now aware... Mother Craymore was hiding something. He made certain to find the perfect spot to settle, as Jeremiah is very particular about where he is willing to rest his shiny, flat hindquarters. Then settling himself down to wait, he busied himself with thoughts of the hopsy, and why she found it necessary to journey to the land of spring at such an important time. He couldn't really understand it, the summer setting was the most industrious time for the meadow folk, a time when she should be at her busiest, for the summer setting was a time when the highest volume of crafts infused with meadow magic could be produced and so distributed to the rest of the new world for their year-long well-being. He knew very well the silk from the land of spring could not be rivalled, and he knew just how seriously the hopsy took her job but he couldn't understand why it was that old Mother Craymore was keeping her there. 
He had an idea the Hopsy's meadow powers might have something to do with it. But he was unwilling to accept the Hopsy would ever knowingly do anything to compromise the well-being of the meadow. He looked over at the entrance to the Craymore abode, then to the exit at the long tunnel leading from their house through the tussock scrubland to the base of the hill. His position was perfect. He could see both the entrance and the exit. There was no way anyone could enter or leave without him being aware of it. She'll be a-fixin' to move the hopsy real soon, he said to himself, and when she does, I'll be ready to follow and catch her red-handed. And sure enough, it wasn't long before Mother Craymore emerged from the end of the tunnel, carrying a large sack. Then checking this way and that, as to who could be listening and who could be watching, she hobbled clumsily out of the exit, as Craymores are wont to do, hitching up her skirts to ensure her thick grey plumage had the space to swish side to side and not get caught under her soft, rubbery clues. Consumed in her endeavours, she didn't see Jeremiah lying in wait. And as she made her way down the old towpath to the fields of the New World silk where the gastromite worms lived, she wasn't aware Jeremiah was following her. With each step, the sun sank lower still, and Jeremiah was now becoming very aware for the need of urgency. So when he saw Mother Craymore pull the sleeping Hopsy out of the snack, and place her deep amidst the silken plants, he acted fast. And what might you be rightly doing? He could barely keep the fury from his deep voice, and old Mother Craymore jumped out of her skin. But as shocked as she was, she was quick with her retort, as was her way. For when Mother Craymore is wrong, she will always assert her right to insist otherwise. Well, I don't really see what business it is of yours anyway, Jeremiah. This is the land of spring, is it not? And you are hailing from the land of summer. Jeremiah's thick, dark fur was now standing on end. You're forgetting, Mother. We masters being concerned with all that's happening in the meadow. And this here little problem we be having? Well, that belongs to the meadow now, don't it? Well, if the hops is such a problem... I'll be happy to take her off your hands, replied Mother Craymore. Jeremiah did his best to withdraw the sharp blue light that was piercing the back of his eyes, for the last thing he wanted to do was show Mother Craymore she had annoyed him beyond measure. This right here's what being the problem, he confirmed, taking one step forwards and pointing his sharpened foreclaw at her. What do you want in with a hopsy, anyhow? I think you'll find she's the one a-wanting, insisted Mother Craymore. But Jeremiah refused to be challenged. Something's telling me that ain't quite the case now, Mother. And I haven't come all this way for a pack of lies. He took another step forwards, and the pale feathers around the Craymore's beak turned even paler still. It's the silk, Jeremiah, the silk. She wants more of it. And if she wants more of it, then she has to trade for it, doesn't she? Trade for it? How? With herself? Are you playing? 
blue sparks shot from Jeremiah's eyes and his claws were glowing. Now, 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 it's not like that, said Mother Craymore, feeling a little less easy than she was happy being. Well, you just tell me what it is like. She's small, she's vulnerable, and you are taking advantage. Well, she agreed, and we have a deal. Agreed what? To donate her energy. She wants the silk, and we need more of it. So while she sleeps, her energy helps it grow. Then she can weave her precious ribbons to her heart's content. Donate? No, this ain't no donation. She been hoodwinked good and proper, and it ends now. Jeremiah looked down at the sleeping Hopsy and his heart sank. Her already slight frame was limp and lifeless, and she had lost so much strength. She no longer had the wherewithal to save herself. This is a bad business, and something I would have thought was beneath you. It stops right here if you need her metal magic to make the crops grow faster. There'll be something wrong with the crops, and you is being the one who needs to fix it. Well, she was happy to help, so who was I to say no? Jeremiah bent down and attempted to stir his sleeping friend, but she would not wake up. And then he knew. She had been given a sleeping draught so she could be placed in the silk fields at high noon. The time when her meadow powers would be at their strongest and the gastromite worms could absorb her energy to produce more silk than they had ever produced before. But the time was now past and she had no more energy to take, so there was no way she would have agreed to this. He would have to get her to the meadow as soon as possible if she were to stand any chance of a full recovery. And even then, it would take many weeks for her to recover, and the impact to the meadow would be huge, as once any of the energy from the meadow is lost, it takes some time to rejuvenate and maintain the balance. This must have been going on for weeks. What on earth were you thinking? It's just greed, plain and simple. My greed or hers? At this, Jeremiah laughed, a huge belly laugh that shook every tree within a mile, and leaving a pregnant pause so as to be assured of as huge an impact as possible, he replied, Try as you might, you won't be riling me. Now step aside, Mother, for I do something you'll regret. But old Mother Craymore had spent far too much time away from the company of others, consumed in her own selfish thoughts and desires. So much so, in fact, she now had a warped sense of reality, in which she believed it was perfectly acceptable to put selfish desires ahead of the well-being of those around her. And being a stubborn sort, she had no intention of giving up that easily, so she decided there and then to make a run for it. Chapter 4 Time to Set Things Right Usually, Jeremiah would have found this very amusing. After all, Cremors aren't built for speed, and not being able to fly more than a metre or so means they can only waddle and hop flap and waddle some more until, overweight as they are, they land in a heap with far fewer feathers than they started off with. But this situation was far from usual and as such, Jeremiah was in no mood for games. 
Give it up, Mother, afore you make a fool of yourself. But old Mother Craymore had no intention of giving up, which was a big mistake on her part. Being as lazy as she was, she could neither comprehend nor appreciate the commitment and training Jeremiah had adopted since being chosen to be master of the meadow. Jeremiah, meanwhile, waited and watched as she waddled and hopped, hopped and waddled, until at last she had traversed the field and come to the path on the other side. Now it was time for Jeremiah to take action, and inhaling a huge breath through his panda-like nostrils, he filled his lungs with new world air and pulled the energy up from his toes, through his cloves into his chest, where it transformed into Beck Chi, his dazzling bright light energy. It filled the space around him with a glow the shade of cobalt blue and his eyes sparkled in its very brilliance. His thick fur was standing on end now and sparks from his clues shot across the field, linking themselves together in a kind of voltaic barrier which made old mother Craymore jump back in alarm. Then when it was done, he spoke with words that held the command of the wise one, that force all new old folk understood to be undisputable. Enough! And at last the Craymore understood. Jeremiah's actions had brought her to her senses, and all at once she was ashamed at what she had done. She stared at the field. It was saturated in his bright light energy, now the gastromite worms were darting backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, their cocoons bursting open with the softest, most plump fibres they had ever seen. And lifting the hopsy slight frame up from the soil, Jeremiah pressed her close to him as she slowly opened her eyes. Jeremiah. Her voice was as soft as her white pigtails, which lay like fine silk ribbons upon his strong arms. And as the splashes of pink in her huge eyes lit up his troubled face, he felt the grip around his chest ease a little. It'll be okay. Don't you be worrying none. We're going home now. You're safe with me, little one. Each letter was coloured with expectation, each word with intentions unspoken. But what business did a master have with such thoughts? And watching them together, old mother Craymore realised the well-being of the new old meadow was not the only driving force present that day. And so in the days to come, the Craymore did her best to harvest the abundance of fresh silk and get it delivered to the meadow, where it would be woven by all those friends of the Hopsy so glad of her return. Everybody knew the ribbons wouldn't be quite the same, but they had strict instructions from Jeremiah to let the Hopsy rest, and no one wanted to question that. As for Mother Craymore, she learned more than one lesson that day. Never to underestimate a master of the meadow, and to understand 
the well-being of the meadow folk comes before all else. For the meadow folk are responsible for the balance and the well-being of the whole of the new world. And nothing is more important than that. The end. I hope you enjoyed this tale. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing to hear more Tales of the New World.